Welcome to Mindfully Healing, a mental health podcast. I'm your host, Micheline Malouf, a trauma-informed and trained therapist. And I'm Nadia Desi, a registered social worker and psychotherapist. We are here to guide you through the connection between your mind and body to help you develop a deeper understanding of yourself. Join us on each episode as we navigate each topic by posing questions to our mind and then having deep conversations with each other, ourselves, and special guests to help us come full circle and answer each question. This season, we discuss trauma, trauma responses, attachment, and relationships. In each episode, we provide you with resources and tools to begin to heal your inner child, set boundaries, and help you along your journey of healing. Dear Mind, How have my experiences in childhood affected my adult attachment behavior? Today, we have an amazing psychotherapist on with us. You've probably seen him around Instagram. His name is Nabil Zafir, and he is joining us from Australia, which is like 12 a.m. We were just talking about how late it is over there while we're recording 10 a.m. our time. Welcome, Nabil. We're so excited to have you on. Thank you so much for having me on, actually. I'm really excited about this topic we're going to really dig deep into. Yeah, absolutely. I guess let's start with what is trauma, like childhood trauma? Yeah, definitely. Great, great question, actually. And trauma, um, it's been quite a buzzword, um, you know, I guess in the past year or two on social media. And Gabo Mate says this amazing quote, and he says, trauma is the things that happen that should not, not happen. For example, you know, verbal, physical abuse, and then the things that didn't happen that should have happened. For example, emotional nurturing, you know, emotional attunement, connection, stability. And trauma isn't the big things that shouldn't have happened. It's the absence of stability, emotional nurturing, connection, and that's traumatic as well. Mm. And in this, um, you know, in this, I guess in this context, I want you to think about it like this, right? We have these wounds that we've collected and unfortunately, you know, life wouldn't be as exciting and interesting if we didn't have these wounds. And we can sort of look at it that way. And we find all these different wounds and all these different past pain points because the way, the way we're parented and certain circumstances. And often what happens is we experience these events or the way we've been parented and we make meaning from these events and we develop core beliefs and our nervous system sort of reorganizes itself around these core beliefs and they're constantly projected back onto our environment. So these beliefs and this pain and um, this this trauma is, is, is essentially part of our psyche where we're constantly reprojecting it back and we're going to talk about, I guess, in this episode also about, you know, reparenting and how to sort of really get into those imprints and undo them. And so we can sort of, you know, live our most authentic self. I love that you said that it's not just what happens to us, but also the things that didn't happen that we may have needed. I I don't ever hear anyone really talking much about that. Can you elaborate a little bit more on what that means? Yeah, definitely, definitely. Um, you know, I guess as, as young children, it's that attunement, that emotional connection is such a big part of our development, right? And our parents usually often do our physical needs very well. They lay our clothes, they you know, pack our lunch, but those emotional needs are gone missing and they're a really important part of our development. And often when we have unmet needs or experience trauma, we develop some type of coping mechanism to meet our needs or cope with that pain. 
But at the time you develop that coping mechanism, you become so busy coping with that pain that you actually never go back in to emotionally resolve it. So at the time you make that coping mechanism, you don't really emotionally grow up and evolve around that specific area of your life. And, you know, um, back to that one when, when I was mentioning we have trauma it's like basically we're frozen in our emotional growth from the period of when that event or that you know that pervasive event took place and we often feel it in our body you know in the form of body sensations and um you know it's and it can be quite catastrophic for many people such a great definition and so much insight for our listeners so you mentioned different parenting styles and how that could impact our adulthood would you be open to going more into what they are and what they look like? Yeah, definitely. Great question, actually. So there's four styles. We have the authoritarian parenting style. We have the narcissistic parenting style, the emotionally dismissive parenting style, and then the overindulgent, also known as permissive parenting style. And look, often, you know, you have a parent of one of each style. It's highly unlikely that you have two parents of the same style, right? You often find, you know, you have an authoritarian parent and a sort of permissive type or unavailable and a permissive type but and these are the scatterns sorry um patterns that i've discovered um you know in practice and research and we can start with probably the authoritarian and this parenting style is often it's intergenerational it's often passed down you know maybe your parents were parented that way or your parents suffered trauma and this parenting style they that the parent often had high demands but low responsiveness to emotional needs you know the child was constantly told you do this because I said so. So they gave a really little explanation and they had the harshest punishment associated with this style. And I'm going to show you how this sort of impacts adults and how we relate to, I guess, the topic of this, this podcast. Um, usually, you know, children who have been parented with this, with this style turn into adults who have patterns of guilt, right? Um, and incessant worry because they'll constantly guilt trip you know and they felt chronic guilt all the time quite easily they often felt controlled so they either control themselves or control people around them in order to get their needs met and they have because the parent had very high expectations they have this perfectionistic seeking type behavior and that could cause a lot of pain uh, often adults who grow up in this home have this indecisiveness or this inability to make decisions because there was no autonomy for decision-making. All their choices, you know, were made for them and it sort of unconsciously leads an adult to believe that every choice they make may lead to the wrong one. And that creates a lot of self-doubt. They can also have this like freeze response that comes up. And, um, you know, if you had a strict parent, a child's gonna lack accountability or they sort of may lie to avoid shame. And this is a really, you know, just an imprint that happens when we experience this trauma. Often people from, you know, adults from this household may experience rebellious type behavior because, you know, they're constantly looking for a fight or a threat because there was a lot of internalized anger. Because if you got angry, the parents said, nah, you're not allowed to get angry. So it's often waiting to come up to the conscious surface. Other things, you know, I sort of see um, with the authoritarian and parenting style is that fear of commitment for adults to grow up in that home because they associate close relationships as control. Like, oh, that my partner's trying to control me and I feel trapped, I feel helpless. Um, there's poor boundaries, right? Adults who grow up in this household because they're often forced to give up their own boundaries to stay safe. And boundaries didn't mean anything. They weren't worthy of being seen or heard. So that extreme obedience, it's, it's often, it comes to stay safe. 
And a child, you know, that grows into an adult from an authoritarian home tends to put a lot of pressure on themselves. And they tend to have, like, I guess, um, this ability to have to earn their worth, you know, because they're told you have to be this way, you have to act this way. And then they're punished when they're not acting that way and they're not being compliant. And this is where people pleasing can also stem from, you know. And I guess back to my previous point about wounds, often you'll see adults who come from homes like this or in parented this way, they have these wounds around feeling I am bad, I am unseen, I am rejected, I am abandoned. And there's a lot of emotional abandonment, not physical, but emotional. And it's like, you know, I have to fend for myself. Nobody's going to support me, you know, or my needs as a unique individual. There's I am weak, I am unworthy, I am trapped. And often needs that have gone unmet is safety. You know, they have the biggest need to feel protected because they're, they're mostly unprotected. And, you know, for other people to take them into consideration. And that's where that trust wound can come from also. So that was the authoritarian parenting style. And I think- I, I, need, I need to jump in real quick because like <laughs> as you're talking, I'm like, that's me and that's my parents. Um, yeah, you're I, right. I have a question for you because I'm Middle Eastern and many of our listeners know that. And it's kind of like the parenting style, I feel like of our culture. And so as you were saying that, I'm like, oh, that makes so much sense because- you know, I, I remember vaguely learning about these parenting styles in graduate school, but like not in the way that you're communicating them. And so, as you mentioned, the type of behaviors, I'm sure a lot of listeners are really relating to this too, but you're mentioning the behaviors and then the result, and it makes so much sense, like linked in together. And I was just talking to Nadia yesterday about like, why am I like this? Cause I was talking about like people pleasing and like not knowing like how to make like certain decisions. And like, I, I keep telling her I'm working on all of this, but there's so much. And like you mentioning this, I feel like you just gave me free therapy. So thank you. But <laughs> <laughs> just thought I would throw that out there. Yeah. Do you relate to that? Like as an Arab male? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm, definitely. I'm, I'm sorry. I'm assuming that you identify as a male. I don't, I didn't even ask you. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I do. Yeah. Okay. Uh, no, but, um, yeah, I definitely relate to that. And I think um, it's, it's intergenerational, you know, uh, mm-hmm. a parent, uh, often a parents were parented this way and was sort of passed on. And unfortunately when they've experienced trauma, it could, it can really sort of affect the child in many different ways. And often, you know, we're so focused on what our parent did sort of, um, really bad and you know how they gave us these wounds but we often sometimes need to focus on all the things they did right mm-hmm. you know they're really important aspects of, of growing and yeah yeah Nadia do you like in the Italian culture like is it like similar to ours in the sense of like this authoritarian like this is how it is as well or not it's different I don't know if it's actually in an Italian culture but I would say my dad is definitely that way I would say more because of his upbringing, ringing less because of his culture, because I live in a very Italian based community and it's not that similar to my upbringing. But I think this is a good example of how people going through two similar situations can have different outcomes because I have a similar situation to you, Micheline, but our reactions as adults are very different. Whereas sometimes I go straight to anger where you go to like shock and people pleasing. Mm -hmm. So when you're listening to these, please remember that as we mentioned certain behaviors, they look different for everybody. And I'm sure you'll be able to resonate to one or two or maybe even more. But if you don't, it doesn't mean that you didn't experience this. Yeah. Yeah. Great point. Really, really great point. Yeah. So that was yeah. the authoritarian 
mm-hmm. uh, parenting style. Okay, so you were about to lead into that the next one, which was yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, next one was the emotionally uninvolved or dismissive parent, and this this parenting style is largely correlated with the dismissive avoidant attachment style because the parent was often dismissive and there was a lot of emotional distance and adults from this home can be very untrusting and poor at giving actually because they don't sort of feel safe to express their needs and emotions. They don't feel safe to feel vulnerable because there was no space held for them a lot of the time. And adults from this home often have low self-esteem. They avoid conflict because guess what? Conflict was constantly swept underneath the rug. That muscle was never taught. Um, a lot of emotional repression because it's not safe to express my feelings. So I better shut it down and avoid it completely. They can have this sort of low level disconnection or this low level fight flight from their feelings, their needs. Um, often I see in a lot of research backs this up social anxiety because there's a lack of healthy interaction between the parent and the child. And that muscle needs to be built up. Like, you know, we need modeling social connections and that could sort of be overwhelming. They may also struggle with addiction you know, and it's it's quite interesting because people who have come from this this parenting style often, I've heard things like previously, you know, when I tried that substance, it felt like a hug, it felt like closeness for me. So they often, you know, gravitate towards things that bring it to closeness. And I think that's, you know, that's quite interesting. But there's also hyper-independence, you know, I'll do it myself, I can't rely on others. And the core wounds from this parenting style is I'm unsafe. I'm, I'm, I'm helpless. Something's wrong with me. You know, a defectiveness scheme that can come up. You know, um, they spend a lot of time alone because that's their safe zone. So they find that hard to emotionally connect to others. What does dismissive look like from a parent? Like they're just not attending to your emotional needs? Definitely. So the parent worked a lot. The parent had a mental health issue. They struggled with addiction. They weren't really emotionally attuned. So they may have been there physically, but they're in and out consistently. They're quite neglectful. So that's actually what we talked about in one of our previous episodes, which was like emotional childhood, emotional neglect. And, you know, that's, we mentioned that it's so hard to see sometimes because you do have shelter and you don't have bruises on your arms and you don't, you know, you look maybe healthy, but internally it's like such a void for you. So what you're saying is uh, children who grow up in those types of environments are more likely to uh, bond with substances and bond with like um, other types of of, of things and unhealthy, quote unquote, unhealthy coping behaviors because they're looking for that warm. I mean, I find it like so interesting. It's like the alcohol or the substance feels like a hug. Cause it's like the first time something yeah. you regulate yeah. your nervous system is what yeah. I'm assuming is happening there. Exactly. Definitely. Yep. You're getting that need me. And then it, you know, I guess the coping strategy is to constantly go back to that need because it's, it feels safe. It regulates you. I think a lot of trauma informed, uh, therapists and practitioners are moving away from the word addiction and um, trying to move towards bonding mm-hmm. because of the mm-hmm. stigma. Um, and that's why like it clicked when you mentioned that, because you're right. It's not like people are choosing it because they want to, you know, be drunk or they, you're trying to regulate your nervous system because you're missing something. Um, so I love that you mentioned that it kind of just, uh, just opened up a, a thought <laughs> here. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay, can you repeat what that uh, a parenting that style was? was the, yep, that was the emotionally avoidant parenting style. And the next one we have is the indulgent parenting style, like also the permissive, right? Mm-hmm. And this parent often wants to be friends with their child. 
And the parents often have very pure intentions, but they find it very hard to implement boundaries with their child. Mm. Like they don't, they're given a lot and don't teach responsibility and accountability or consequences. And as an adult, you can imagine how hard it'd be to sort of navigate the real world when you haven't been taught much of this. And a big part of this parenting style, something so interesting, is a lot of enmeshment because when the child is crying or struggling, the parent can't tolerate the discomfort. So in order to avoid the feeling they're feeling, they immediately attend to the child to soothe them and to give them the candy and, and you know, and really try to overcompensate. And usually, usually from this home, adults are entitled, you know, and I say this in a really gentle, compassionate way, but if, because they sort of learn very early on, or if I have to chuck a tantrum or cry about it and they get programmed with this, that when I, when I act out, I get my needs met. And my partner will do X, Y, and Z when I want them to because the parents always played that role. They often have, you know, poor impulse control because regulation isn't all. Like you're taught to outsource your ability to regulate your own feelings. And, you know, I see this with Netflix or, you know, whatever it might be. This also can be like excessive resistance to authority figures or even taking accountability, right? Um, and a parent from this household like can treat their child like a king or a queen all the time. And often the adult, like from this home, expects their romantic partner to treat them this way. And that creates a lot of unrealistic expectations, right? And um, it's quite interesting. There's been a buzzword recently on social media. It's called Peter Pan syndrome. And what it means is a child from that home finds it difficult to take on adult responsibilities and wants others to support their lifestyle because they can find that hard to have that healthy interdependence. Mm -hmm. And as human beings, we're both wired for attachment and independence. And oh. it's interesting. Yeah. I don't know if you guys see my face, but like this one is me. Uh -huh. <laughs> this one is so me, especially when you said um, when we react a certain way and then we do it with our partners in order to get a reaction. I was like, oh my God, I did that yesterday. Like this is so me, <laughs> even me like adult responsibilities. Oh, wow. This is a big realization. Another free therapy session. Thanks. Yeah. <laughs> and of and course, intentions were pure. Like I know where my mom was coming from because she was like, has the biggest heart in the world, but it just makes a lot of sense of just quickly attend. And she still does that to this day of attending to our needs, mine and my sister's before attending to her own. Yeah, yeah. I think that that culture with, you know, I guess codependency or enmeshment is often is often taught for many of us because it's like sometimes when we come from, you know, very, very, very close units, it's an amazing thing to see. But if you explore a bit deeper, sometimes it's deeply dysfunctional. Oh, absolutely. Well, especially as an adult now realizing the difficulty of doing certain responsibilities and tasks alone, mm -hmm. independently it's difficult we were just talking about this yesterday how I don't want to cook <laughs> I'm like I don't want to clean because yeah that, can you have okay because you mentioned at the beginning of the um, episode that you could have like you're not going to have two parents that have the same style so can you develop different adulthood traits based on the two different types of parenting styles that each one of your parents mm -hmm had because I also identify with this one so I identify with the other one I think a lot but I also have traits of this one and I'm wondering is that my father because that's my father he never yep. like to give you an example he never bought himself a car to this day he doesn't own a car because he he own he's like he's a mechanic and he gets cars and like he 
fixes them and then he sells them. And so he uses whatever he has at, on his lot to sell. So he never bought himself. He, we had to buy him like an iPad, a, a, a iPhone. Like he does not like care for himself in that way. And he puts us the whole family ahead of everyone else. So I'm wondering, could, could that happen? Like could a personality trait develop in that way? Definitely, definitely. Usually it's very, very highly unlikely to have two parents have the exact same parenting style. So you'll often have a few behaviors of, of each one. And that's quite interesting. And also many other people influence our life, like teachers, siblings, coaches, mentors, grandparents. So taking that into consideration also is quite helpful. I, I love this topic. I've, I'm so glad we're talking about this. I think so many people can resonate with this stuff and like have an aha moment from this. Yeah. Okay. Is so, there okay, a specific so- attachment style connected to this one? Sorry, I'm asking for myself. No, of course, definitely. Um, often, often what I see is with this attachment style, it's, it's a, it can be a flavor of anxiously attached and fearful avoidant. Because sometimes with this style, they may have a very disorganized way of attaching because it's like, oh, no, you're not meeting my needs. Oh, I hate you right now. And it, <laughs> it can be this sort of push-pull dynamic where they resort to protest behavior because the, the ability to regulate, you find it really difficult because you weren't taught those skills. So you're sort of dependent on someone else to meet your needs. And when they don't show up, it's like, it's back and forth. Yeah, that makes sense. (laughs) (laughs) So the one we talked about earlier was avoidant, more avoidant attachment style. That's correct. Yes. Yep. 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 The first one with the authoritative parent is more developed into an anxious, you said? Um, I'd I'd say definitely anxious or um, fearful avoidant because Fearful avoidance, also known as disorganized attachment, have a very, very, very deep trust wound because often they're in a complete state of dependency to meet their parents, you know, for their parents to meet their needs, but they didn't entirely trust them to meet their needs. So they're very suspicious and Mm -hmm. it's quite interesting. You know, many people who come from homes like this, you know, because trust is so significant, they have like small talk fatigue. It's like when they meet people, small talk feels so uncomfortable and they want to get sort of, you know, right into the deeper things so they can sort of feel safety and and notice that, oh, it's okay to open up now. I trust you. Yeah. So that yeah, that's interesting. That's me. I can't do small talk. I get so anxious. Like my jaw tenses up and I'm like, oh, like I'm shaking. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm shaking. Like I can't do this. Um, but as soon as we get deep, I'm like, I can tell you things. Yeah. Like we'll talk about this. Let's keep going. Okay. Yeah, definitely. And the last one, um, I guess, you know, narcissism, the, the word has been such a, you know, I guess a huge culturally, everyone's sort of diagnosing each other with this word and, you know, it can get a bit out of hand, but with a narcissistic parenting style, the parent often had an exaggerated sense of self-importance, that they're unique, they're special, they have this, you know, constant sense of entitlement and require admiration from others, right? And the parent um, sort of may take advantage of other people to get what they want. And often what a child does, you know, they sort of internalize this behavior and then go out and model them. And the child's often the trophy and the parent's always the winner. And often kids or adults who grow up from this home have really high expectations on themselves because the parent often had really high expectations. They constantly think they have to earn their worth because there tends to be a lot of that messaging they're getting. You know, narcissistic parents often love a child as an extension of themselves, So they can be extremely loving and then extremely critical. And an adult may never admit to their mistakes or, you know, 
they're sort of you know, deflecting their problems or their wrongdoings and they repress their own needs and become hyper attuned to what their parents need from them as a way of avoiding pain. It's like a survival mechanism in a household. They can be really poor at receiving as an adult because the constant makes it feel like a burden. And the child and adult in this home finds it hard to develop their own sense of self because they were not encouraged to do this because they usually feel used and manipulated. And often narcissistic parents have really poor boundaries with their children because they'll get frustrated at their child if they're not showing up very well in every single aspect of life or perfect in every aspect of life. And at a subconscious level, the child thinks, oh God, I'm never going to be good enough. So the parents feel a lot of shame around this and that shame is then sort of projected onto the child. The child sort of also compared to, you know, other relatives or other cousins, or other people who are doing great. And this can cause sort of low self-esteem. Do you think this one may cause more, I don't want to like say more or less, like I don't want to compare, but do you think it causes like more of that like codependency type of response or in adulthood and like, or is there one that's more dangerous is what I'm asking or one that's um, can affect the child more in adulthood? Yeah, it definitely creates a codependency sort of attachment trauma, this one, um, because it's like, there's a very disorganized way of attaching also because they feel like a burden. And it's often they have this sort of like a brick wall, you know, and it's like no love gets in and no love gets out. And, and that can, it can be really quite difficult. Mm-hmm. And yeah, it's, cause it's quite interesting this one because what, often what happens is it's like they go on to abandon themselves because the parent of, often sort of, you know, they had to overgive and under receive. And then they constantly do this in relationships. So they notice imbalance. They notice this, this imbalance and they become resentful and angry. And then they sort of, you know, express their anger, all those emotions that are coming up. And then they feel guilty for expressing anger. So they go back to over, overcompensating again. Mm-hmm. And it can go round and round. Sounds so challenging for a child to grow up in a household like that. Okay. So is there a healthier one? Oh, I didn't ask. So, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, there's definitely a healthy one and it's the, um, it's a secure sort of attachment parenting style where the parent is emotionally attuned to the child. And what happens is the child learns very early on that, oh, I'm entitled to my boundaries. I'm allowed to have boundaries. I'm allowed to speak up for myself. And when I'm sad or when I'm crying or when I'm angry, someone attunes to my needs. So now I can go out in the world and provide and project that exact same behavior because it's been modeled effectively. Mm-hmm. So that's, it's a very effective way of parenting the secure attachment style. And, and look, just not to say that you have to be the perfect parent. It's about consistency. 60% is enough because there's no such thing as the perfect parent. I think that's really important to empathize on. Um, but it's about consistency. It's about the emotional tumor. It's about the emotional mirroring, you know, regulating that nervous system. And I think it's really important for with someone, some, something that secure attached parents do really well is they often validate the emotion, but not the behavior. Mm. And I think that's important to really make changes and for a child to be seen and be heard. And they turn into an adult who can actually see and hear people and provide that exact same feedback. Mm -hmm. That's really important. Actually, we talked about this recently where it's like, you can validate the feelings that a child was experiencing or is experiencing sadness, anger, anxiety. Maybe they were angry and they punched a friend in the face or something like that. And their kids, you don't have to validate the punching of the face, but you can validate the fact that they were angry and why the feelings 
came up as anger and like what to do about it next time. Right. Like mm-hmm. you can be compassionate and loving and understanding and validating of that child without, without reinforcing that behavior. Yeah, definitely. I think that's so important to recognize also definitely, but I think it's also important to recognize like these imprints can, you know, I guess I'm guessing, you know, the audience or people who are listening, they're probably thinking, Oh, you know, how do I, how do I move past this? Or how do I overcome this? And yeah. You know, the same way these were programmed in, they can be programmed out. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I think it's important that people sort of realize that. And it's about, I guess, you know, as cliche as it is, he's got acting as that, as that parent that you never had. You're really filling in those voids that, you know, and those unmet needs that went missing. You know, for example, someone from, you know, an authoritarian parenting household, unmet need was feeling unloved and, you know, accepted. Okay. I need to make that need. I'm going to love and accept myself. Even if I make mistakes, I'm going to replace that, you know, that, that usual criticism that comes to my mind to self-compassion and kindness. I'm going to start being conscious of my internal dialogue and checking with myself more. So you would say the first step is identifying which one you resonate with the most and then understanding which void or wound you are experiencing and trying to give that to yourself. Definitely. Definitely. Like if the, and with that, yeah, definitely. And I guess an example would be like with the uninvolved parent, you know, how can I be more empathetic with others and present with myself and my own emotions? Like, can I journal? Can I meditate? How do I start depending on people to meet my needs? And I think that's important because often when we have unmet needs, we develop ways of coping to deal with it. And, uh, you know, I often like to say this analogy, but it's like adults or wounded children who have aged um, because, you know, it's, it's when we experience a turbulence, when we experience a painful event and we haven't emotionally processed those wounded parts of ourselves, that subconscious mind that that filing cabinet opens up and goes, oh, we know what this is. You know, you're feeling trapped or helpless or unloved. And it brings up all that emotion up to the surface. And here you are struggling and unable to cope. And you're having this whole nervous system activation taking place. As a psychotherapist, what, um, what do you do in therapy with clients to help them through these processes yeah yeah great question um so we usually i i guess i I recommend that you know um you know i guess clients practice observing how they treat themselves i think that's the first step like notice that in the dialogue notice how you're criticizing yourself you know observe your mind i think that's really important and notice when your mind sort of gets chatty um because that's important also to recognize um when those thoughts start to speed up whether it's you have a wound around feeling disliked and you're on your way to the party and these thoughts are coming in like, oh God, no one's going to talk to me. They're going to stare at me weirdly. And I often tell people this, you're not consciously generating thoughts. These thoughts are coming from past painful wounds and they're running on autopilot. So in order to sort of heal, we need to grab the thought and really update that strategy and really question it and really rationalize it and try to understand it. And it's often, I guess, an important part of it is imagine that's what you're saying to a young child. Like, would you speak to a little kid the way you're speaking to yourself? And if that's how you were spoken to in childhood, is it fair and appropriate that you didn't get the treatment you needed and you're still treating yourself like that? Mm-hmm. Um, and that's, that's important. So what do I need as a child and how can I give that to myself? And it's important to get, get clear on, on what's happening and we're sort of bringing that, that balance back up. Mm-hmm. That is such a powerful exercise. I love that one. I, I give that one to everyone. I have to use it on myself often. So yeah. Why yeah. do you think we start to identify these behaviors once we enter relationships? Yeah. Yeah. 
Good question, actually. I think relationships bring out really past um, past wounding out in us because we're often, I think for many people, if you know, if you have a need for significance, to feel important, to feel desired, to feel validated, and your partner's sort of not doing that for you, it's like, whoa, you know, and you have this nervous system activation taking place. But something so interesting, usually when we have needs we can't meet in the relationship to ourselves we project them in the form of expectations because we feel helpless and disempowered to meet them. For example, if I have a need for attention, what am I doing? Hey, give me attention, give me attention. And when they don't, they're, they're reaffirming that for me. And here I am, you know, experiencing all this turbulence inside because I feel helpless and I feel disempowered to meet that need for myself. And a lot of that, that inner child work, I'm guessing, and, and and a lot of that, that work from trauma generally is we're finding all these holes in our cup, okay? It's like we're trying to fill up our cup, but we have all these expectations on ourselves. We're taking away all this um, significance away from ourselves. And a quick example would be like, you know, when we want control over our life, what do we do? You know, we try to create more checklists. We try to seek more certainty. We hyper-focus on things and we're filling up our cup and then we have all these holes that we're catastrophizing all the time. We're thinking of the worst case scenarios. We're not actually working through these cognitive distortions coming up. And, you know, we're feeling unsafe. We're feeling helpless. And these are all ways we're taking that need for certainty away from ourselves. Mm -hmm. um, but it's interesting. But yeah, <laughs> but back to your question, I feel like um, relationship kind of topic, um, relationships really bring up that, that side of us. And often we replace our parental relationships with our romantic relationships and that attachment wounding comes back up because we're trying to right the wrongs from the past. So you're saying we're trying to get from our partners what we did not get from our parents. Exactly. Mm. And we can learn to give that to ourselves. Then we're not expecting our partners to do it for us. We're just a partner. Yep. Yep. Exactly. Exactly. That's right. Yep. That's right. Exactly. And that's where we sort of need to understand that how, you know, it's, it's how we give love and how we receive love. And, and that, that's all really important. And when we notice these imprints and we notice how they're showing up, we can have compassion for them. And then we can sort of communicate to people, hey, you know, I need more space here. Or, hey, I need more attention. It's, it's quite interesting because we do this thing in relationships where we're like, I really value space. They must value it also. And if they don't, something's wrong. <laughs> and we don't really take into account about different programming and you know people are quite different in that aspect it's kind of like the love languages thing that people talk about all the time you're not supposed to give love in the way you need it you're supposed to see what the other person needs I heard it explained one time as if love to you is chicken noodle soup and to me love is chocolate and you can keep giving me chicken noodle soup and I keep giving you chocolate and you're like, she doesn't love me. And I'm like, he doesn't love me. And both of us are giving exactly what we see um, mm -hmm. love to be. So instead, if we communicate that and learn that, hey, just, hey, chicken noodle soup is love to this person. <laughs> that means they're giving me, you know, and I can either handle chicken noodle soup or I need to find someone that also gives chocolate, you know? So it's yeah. really interesting that, you know, yeah. to, to think yeah. about it in that way. Yeah, definitely, definitely. And like that, like, you know, I guess, um, Nadia, you mentioned the concept there about I'm going to meet all of your needs, you're going to meet all of my needs, and we're both going to be happy. Like we get a lot of that imagery from Disney and social media and like seeing romantic comedies and they're highly dysfunctional. 
And, you know, because as soon as we go on that path or we have that mind frame, it comes to the Friday evening and, you know, X doesn't call me back and it's going to be chaos. It's like, are you kidding me? I gave up my whole life for you. And the moment we give up our sense of self, now we have given so much that the subconscious mind is always trying to get back to balance. So it assumes that you're going to be giving the same degree. And the moment it doesn't happen, it's that volcano erupting. I'm just thinking, I'm just thinking personally, because then I'm like, then my avoidant attachment comes in and I'm like, ah, I'm not giving anything. I don't need anybody. <laughs> so for our listeners who don't have access to psychotherapy, you did mention some places to start. Is this an everyday practice that they should be doing? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Definitely. I think it's really, really important. That repetition is so important because I guess, you know, it's and something so interesting um, that I want to mention is we go through these experiences and we have to look at life and realize, let's say, for example, I'm feeling unloved. And let's say I go through a lots of experiences of feeling unloved. That's an already traumatic event that has happened. But what becomes even more traumatic is every day I'm retelling the story of how I'm so unloved. I'm sort of re-traumatizing myself. And the only way trauma can stay alive is if we have to keep firing and wiring the same traumas in relationship to self on autopilot over and over again. And that means if I have wounds around feeling helpless, feeling powerless about everybody's taking away my control or how I can't trust people, I'm repeating that pattern. I'm repeating that story. And I keep telling myself how trapped I am, you know? And, you know, it's it's interesting because if we say, let's say we were emotionally neglected for a long period, what we do is we we go through life and emotionally neglect our own feelings. So we keep that imprint alive and it's and it sort of means finding those imprints, changing the story, becoming the parent and meeting those unmet needs. Do you always do that by becoming the parent or are there other ways to change that? Mm-hmm. Yeah, great question. That's the most um, significant way and the most, um, I guess, a way that's really effective for many people. Um, but there's other ways that you can go through also. And it's really about, you know, doing it in small increments. Um, And it can sort of be like an exposure response or exposure therapy. If you don't trust people, you know, I guess a good way to expose yourself would be to actually start leaning on people, start depending on people for things. And when they show up and you notice, oh, people do show up for me. Like, you know, I can really value people in this period. That's going to be helpful. It's going to help you move closer to that goal because you're showing and you're sort of, you're, you're unplugging those associations to trust and that's a that's step forward. Mm-hmm. That's so powerful. And I think that there's a lot of people that when it comes to parenting, reparenting ourselves, one of the biggest challenges I hear is it feels weird. It feels icky. Like I hate myself. I don't deserve it. And so how can we overcome that bar- barrier at the beginning of the parenting process? Yeah. We need to adopt inquiry and compassion. That's what I think is really important. Like instead of, and it's it's interesting because I'm like, you know, and it sounds corny, I think for many people it's, um, but it's talking to those wounded parts of your conscious mind because your subconscious mind has picked up all these imprints and pretty much what you're doing is you're consciously talking to yourself. Like, Hey, you know, there was that thing, that thing happened and I can do this differently. We need to get into a growth mindset and work towards the solution. And I think, that's, that's, that's helpful because we're sort of humanizing ourselves and we're extending compassion to ourselves. And that's going to be incredibly important when we practice being with those emotions instead of emotion coming up and we're quickly jumping to social media, right? 
um, we're, we're numbing through Netflix. We're, so we need to understand like what's coming up for me right now. What's this trying to show me and what do I need in this moment to feel relief? And that's how we actually start to strengthen the relationship to ourselves. We ask for our needs to be met and not asking once, but being consistent so people can hear you and connect to you. So getting curious is what I'm hearing. It's getting, at least try to get curious. If you can't go into the parenting, reparenting part of it, where you're giving yourself what you didn't need, start with understanding what the emotions mm-hmm. are. Definitely. And yes, in a nutshell. Yeah. Yep. Yep. Giving yourself mm-hmm. that compassion as you're curious instead of judgment. Yep, definitely. It starts off there. And I guess that's the most important part because that's going to sort of spill into other areas of your life. Mm-hmm. And that's, and, you know, I guess you're going to, that's going to accelerate the process. This is like, I feel like I could talk to you for like two hours about this because there's so much I want to know. You've opened up. I'm going to go do a lot of research on parenting styles and um, how it shows up, but I'm, really, really glad that we had this conversation. And I think that there's a lot more left here to say. So we'll probably have to like have you back on to like dig deeper about this type. I'm sure our listeners are like glued their ears to their headphones or wherever they're listening, because I know I was, and I had to look at the time. I'm like, oh man. Okay. Uh, So what are the, what would you say, I guess, like to wrap things up, like, is there something that was left unsaid that we need to say that you believe is like really important uh, for our listeners to take away? Yeah. Yeah. Um, I think the, the most important part is that relationship to ourselves. You know, it's so important. It's a, it's a real relationship, right? Because it sort of spills into all these areas of our life. And the more you leave yourself feeling abandoned, dismissed, rejected, the more you fear it from other people because we start to become dependent. You know, let's say I'm caretaking for everybody around me and not checking in with myself and leaving myself alone. Now my subconscious mind becomes reliant on people in return to not make me feel alone because you're making yourself feel alone. You're disconnecting from that relationship. And it's, it's, so, it's, it's so interesting because as we heal from these patterns, it, it, you know, when we've had for long periods when we've had no needs and you start to change the rules of the relationship you're operating in, it can feel like freedom and autonomy. And we're going to have those days where, you know, we, we can't cope or we have a, a really intense emotional reaction or we feel like a child again. And that's when, we, that's when the work is most effective. That's when it's most effective to actually implement those techniques and to have that compassion from the ground up and to really connect back to your body and your sense of self. I love that. You're amazing. Thank you so much. Such a great last message to send off. Thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate it. Thank you again. And I guess we can end this episode by now just saying to your mind, like if you are in a relationship and you're not understanding your attachment or like why you're behaving in certain ways or why you're requiring certain things, since we ended on the note of self-compassion, we can say, dear mind, I understand that you're trying to fulfill an unmet need. And I promise that I am going to give you all of that one step at a time on my time. Thank you again. If you are um, listening to this and you haven't followed us social media yet, please follow us on Instagram and TikTok at dearmind.podcast and let us know what you think of these episodes. And Nabil, lastly, where can they find you so they can follow your amazing work? Yeah, um, I'm on Instagram and um, my Instagram name's at, at the behavior therapist. 
So I post a lot of um, content really related to this topic. Amazing. So and we will find me there. Cool. We'll link it all in the, in the show notes as well. So if you need to si- find him, you can just click on it and hopefully it'll be easier to find. And thank you again for being here. We loved it. And we'll see you all in the next episode. Thanks. Bye. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, please share it with your friends and family and remember to leave us a review. We love reading your comments. Take a screenshot of the episode you're listening to along with your thoughts and share it to your story and tag us so we can reshare it to our story. And be sure to follow us on social media at mind.fully.healing on Instagram at mindfullyhealing on YouTube and on TikTok at mindfully.healing. Until next time. Thank you.